Good morning. Today's scripture readings comes from Romans 5, chapters 1 through 11, Peace and Hope. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, although for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we are still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of the Lord. These are dark days. They're perilous times. These are ominous circumstances in which we find ourselves. What may happen? What will I do? What will we do? This is a time to find hope. But where to look? As I was reading in my personal devotions a couple of weeks ago, I got to Acts chapter 12. There is what to me is a bizarre little passage of Scripture at the beginning of Acts chapter 12. And read it. Let me read it to you. It's just four verses. Now remember, this is some months after Jesus' ascension in Acts 1. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of the unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put Peter in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. I was struck in this passage by the fact that James, the brother of John, one of the three closest apostles who always were nearest to Jesus, is remembered in this powerful but yet almost offhand manner. James was killed with a sword, and Peter got arrested. That seems kind of big to me. But what struck me out of this is that those two men, James and Peter, in similar circumstances, both in prison, but both having diametrically different outcomes, 
did not find their hope in their circumstances. James died. Peter, if you go on and read the chapter, goes through this remarkable release from prison. And yet, neither man, to use Luciana's term, neither man anchored himself in the circumstance in which he found himself. And so I ask you today, do you have hope? If you're one of those who feels desperate in these days, anxious, maybe angry, maybe depressed, I offer you hope today, for hope is real, and hope is available to you, no matter what your circumstance is. But for those of you who say, yes, I have hope, I ask you a second question, why? Why do you have hope? That's what we want to talk about this morning, because hope is a matter of focus. It's a matter of what has happened and what will happen. That is the basis of hope. But let me stop for a minute. I want to say what hope is not. Okay, by the way, there's a worksheet. If you're here in church, there's a worksheet in the bulletin. If you want to write anything down, there's there's a place to put notes there. If you're at home, I'll, I'll give you the worksheet kind of orally as we go along. And you can write things down that way if you want to. Okay. So let me stop for a minute and say what hope is not. Okay, hope is not something that we produce. In Time Magazine a few weeks ago, they interviewed Joan Didion, who is a famous author and journalist in the United States. And they asked her simply, "Um, do you have hope? And she said, hope for what? No, not in particular. Very offhand, but very powerful in her lack of hope. The second thing is that hope is not in trying. One of the ways we misguide, we mislead our children is to say, oh honey, you can do anything you want to do if you just try hard enough. If that were true, I would have had a long and illustrious career in Major League Baseball. Although some would say I had neither the talent nor the ambition for that, but I don't like to think about that part. But hope doesn't come just by trying. It doesn't come from wishing. The old idea, hope is not wishful thinking. It's spring training. I'm a real baseball fan, you can tell. It's spring training. Right now, I am really hoping the Cubs are going to win the World Series again this year. But right on. But that's wishful thinking. That's not true hope. One of the ways we hope sometimes is by denying. Knowing what the truth is and just saying, nope, nope, not not going there. My granddaughter got her driver's license right before Thanksgiving. I'm in denial about that. The idea of her driving a car around Washington, D.C. area just freaks me out. So I'm just in denial about that. I'm just hoping that's not true, even though I've ridden in the car with her. And she's a good driver, but I'm still in denial. Another way that that is not hope is simple passivity. Oh, whatever God, God has in mind is fine. I'm sure it'll work out for the best. That's a kind of passive 
resistance, kind of non-hope. But then let's talk about what hope really is. Okay? I want to look at, we're going to look at four verses. There's way too much in this passage that Dick read to us to talk about everything in here. But, but it's a great it's a great piece to study here from Romans 5. Paul is really getting cranked up on his theology here in, in chapter 5, so it's really good stuff. We're going to talk about four verses. We're going to talk about verse 2, verse 5, verse 8, and verse 11. And then we're going to try to tie those together. So, why do we hope? Where does it come from? It comes from beginning in verse 1. Remember the word therefore, we've been taught about that. The therefore is because God has already done something. Our hope was delivered to us through Jesus. It says in uh, four twenty. Chapter 4, verse 25, he was delivered over to death for our sins and raised to life for our justification. This is our access to God's grace, not what we have done, but what he has done. Not what we have done, but what he has done. This is our access to God's grace. That's what the therefore is there for. So, We go on then to verse 2, and this is a remarkable verse in all of Scripture. So, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace, in which we now stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Now, let's have a real quick grammar lesson there. Hope of glory, hope of the glory of God. In the Greek, that is what would be in English, the future perfect tense. That is defined in the sense of it is as if it had already happened. It is as if it had already happened. Now, what we understand from that is that The work has already been done forever. God's grace has sealed us for eternity. God's grace is sufficient to seal us for all of eternity. This is our inheritance. You want to read God's will for you? The hope of glory. That is our inheritance. So we have this great promise, assurance, so sure as if it had already happened. And in verse 5, and hope does not disappoint because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. God confirms his love through the gift of his Holy Spirit who inhabits us and enriches us and renews us and strengthens us. God has shown his love. How? He sent his son. He sealed our inheritance in the power of the Holy Spirit. We hope because God has taken initiative 
to love us and to extend his grace to us through his son. We have hope because God has given us hope. If we don't have that hope, if our hope is anywhere else besides the hope that God has given us, we are hopeless. We never need to be hopeless. We sometimes choose to be hopeless, but God's desire always that our hope would be in him. So then, that's the why we hope, but how do we hope? How do we go about hoping? As is so often true with our walk with Jesus, it's not anything passive. It's not just standing pat. But notice the first part of these verses that, that uh, Dick read to us. Paul uses the pronoun we all the time. He talks about we. He includes himself with that group, both the Christians that he wrote to in Rome and the Christians that he knew would read this letter in a greater context. And he says, we're all in this together. And so we hope together. We are together as a church. We have the opportunity to share our hope together. A simple thing. Did you notice that? That Luciana gave us her phone number? I can't remember it right now, but I'll look it up in the directory. But the point is, contact. Our hope together is the unity that God has given us through the gift of his son and the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. You see, God binds us together. God binds us together in our hope through the work of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. But we have to remember that we operate our, we operate our hope in the circumstances of our life. But our circumstances do not define our hope. We operate our hope in the circumstances of our life. But our circumstances don't define our hope. Let me give you an example. Notice the sequence in in verses 3 and 4. Let me read those to you again. That we have the hope of of the glory of God in verse 2. Not only so, not only the hope of glory, but we also rejoice... Oh, Paul, I was afraid you were going to do something like this. We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. Now, let me give you an example of this because this is is how it operates in our circumstances. About a year, just about a year ago today, a little over a year ago today, I had my hip replaced. So here's what I learned. I came out of surgery. You stay in the hospital overnight. Then you get to come home. There's a fair amount of discomfort. I'm allowed to go up and down the stairs once a day. I come down in the morning, go up when I go to bed at night. It's the only time I'm allowed to go up and down the stairs. I find my physical therapist a bit strict, but that's the way she does it. And there's, a fair, there's some pain involved. So there's times, a couple times a day, I may have to take some Tylenol. 
That's not horrible suffering, believe me. Not at all. But it is the element of suffering. And what suffering requires of me is a reaction. I have to do something about that. What do I do? I choose. I choose to do what needs to be done. Exercises, pain relief, proper diet, resting properly, doing what needs to be done, and doing it over and over. I have an acquaintance who had his knee replaced. Guy was a postmaster, or a postal worker in our town. And he had his knee replaced, and he just couldn't be bothered with doing the rehabilitation. He almost completely ruined his knee. My point in that is perseverance builds. From suffering, we react, we choose to do what needs to be done and keep doing it, and we build. What do we build? Character. We build strength. We build facility. We build options because we become stronger. And that perseverance leads to a strength that gives me more than I had before. And perseverance and character lead to hope. Hope is confirmation. Lord, are you there? I'm placing my hope in you. Yes, I'm here. Lord, this is difficult. Sometimes I want to give up. I feel like I'm not getting where I need to go. Yes, I am here. Lord, I'm confused. I feel lost sometimes. I'm really anxious. Yes, I am here. Our hope is in him, and we carry it out in the community of our work and our hope together as God continues to to confirm and affirm his presence in us and among us. You notice when I'm leading worship, I often say, God, work within us and among us as we are gathered together. For those two things are tied inextricably. But hope is not just a communal activity. It is also, as I've I've talked about in that simple example about rehabilitation, it comes in action. A basic action for us as Christians is to uphold each other in verses 3 and 4. Are you in pain? How can I help you? What can you do? The church has done these, of course, over the centuries. There's a death in a family. Meals come. You go to visit the family and you sit with them and you comfort them. Someone's in the hospital. Back in the days, remember the days when you'd go visit hospitals? You could go and see, visit someone in the hospital and share some time with them and have prayer with them. I visited Bernie Ramsdale in the hospital within a week or two of his passing. Those of you who know Bernie, wonderful guy. Reminded me some of my dad, and I, had, I felt a kind of special touch with him. Anyway, I visited him in the hospital. And I said, Bernie, are you ready to go? I, that wasn't the first thing I said, but as we talked. 
I said, Bernie, are you ready to go? Oh, yeah, I'm ready. He said, I'm at peace. We shared his hope together. We were bound together in his hope and the hope that I shared with him in God's truth and his hope of glory. Bernie's there now. Seeing God's glory in God's presence, seeing God's glory. This is how we uphold one another. You know, in many ways, verses 3 and 4 are a discipleship program. Do we help people in their suffering? Do we help them to persevere? Do we help them to build character? Do we walk with them in their hope? That's a good discipleship program. And that's really what those verses are talking about. But, you know, this pandemic has called upon us to uphold one another perhaps as never before. But the truth of the matter is that long after the pandemic is gone, whenever that is, the need to uphold each other and to walk together in hope will not go away. And the reason for that is in Scripture. In Romans 3.23, it says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. A basic verse, a basic truth about all of us. We all fall short. But verse 8, the third of the verses that I want to talk about this morning, talked about verse 2, we talked about verse 5, now I'm going to talk about verse 8, is that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Not anything we did, not anything we earned, not anything we merited. God's immense love through the gift of his son, Jesus came to give his life on our behalf. So God took the situation in hand and he rescued us through the death and resurrection of his son. So that's why we say that hope has to do with expectation and anticipation. Let me tell you what I, need, what I mean by that. As I said in verse 8, Christ died for us. And as it goes on to say in verse 10, we are reconciled to him. We are made right with him. We are united with him. He holds us against everything else. We are his. This is the expectation that is based on the death and resurrection of Jesus. But we also, what is our response to that, uh, that rescue, our inheritance, which is the hope of glory? We rejoice in that inheritance. We rejoice in that hope of glory. That is our anticipation. And that, by the way, that anticipation, that expression of hope is also our witness. We talked about community. Our church has a place in this community, ports of New Hampshire, the surrounding towns, this whole seacoast area. We have a place here. And so our hope is also our witness. First Peter 3 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your hearts 
Regard Christ the Lord as holy and be ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for for a reason for the hope that is in you. What happens today when someone says, what is the source of your hope? This is a pandemic. Things are uncertain. Things are crazy in every direction. How do you even, what in your right mind puts you in a hopeful perspective? Where do you place your hope this morning? If someone asks you that question, where do you place your hope? Is it in your wishful thinking? Oh, I hope so. I think maybe. I hope so. Is it in your wishful thinking? Is it in your manipulation? I'm going to wrestle this. I'm going to make it come out my way no matter what. Is it in your striving? Or is your hope in relationship with Jesus? Is your hope in the person of Christ? I call you to hope. I call you to find your hope in Jesus. I said at the beginning, I asked this same question at the beginning. Today, do you have hope? If you are here, if you are listening from another location, and you are without hope, get in touch with me. Get in touch with Pastor Chris. Get in touch with Luciana. Get in touch with someone you know who is firm in their faith and say, help me to have hope and come to know Jesus. If you already know Jesus, then I encourage you to let your hope be the shining example of your life. In each circumstance of your life, find your hope in Christ. And we must be a church of hope. Let Jesus shine out from us. Let us, through the shining of Jesus, bring hope into the darkness. May the people of this community say, I don't know what all those people do over in that church, but boy, they love Jesus. They're all about Jesus in that place. Let Jesus be the message of hope, the light of hope into the darkness that surrounds us. So as we bring light into the darkness, I challenge each of you today, be a person who reflects the peace of Christ and your joyful, hopeful reconciliation with Jesus. Let's pray. Father, you have given us hope through the gift of your Son, through his death. We are at peace with you. We are reconciled to you. Through his resurrection, we have the hope of glory that we will see you face to face and live with you forever. Father, we thank you. We praise you. 
We ask you to make us people of hope and emissaries of Jesus in all that we do that we might honor and glorify your kingdom. Amen. Now I'll ask our servers to just come to the front right now and we will begin to uh, prepare for communion. As we prepare to serve, remember that we have been reconciled to God. We have been given hope through the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus. Thus, we celebrate and remember today, as we are reminded in Scripture, until he comes again and we see him face to face in all his glory. Let us begin this observation by reading together the Apostles' Creed. We, what do we believe? We believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, On the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven, he is sealed at the right hand of God the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now let's read together so that we come humbly and openly to this table. Let us read together the confession of sin that you find in your bulletin or on the screen. Our Father in heaven, you have loved us with everlasting love, but we have gone our own way and rejected your will for our lives. We are sorry for our sins and turn away from them. For the sake of your Son who died for us, forgive us, cleanse us, and change us. By your Holy Spirit, enable us to live for you and to please you in every way. For the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Now hear this assurance of pardon from the book of Micah. Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Pray with me, please. Lord Jesus, you came, you lived among us, You gave yourself for us. Your body was broken on our behalf that we might gain peace with God and be reconciled to you through the giving of yourself. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen. In the same way, after they had eaten, Christ took the cup and he said, this is my blood shed for you. 
as often as you drink of it, do it in remembrance of me until I come again. Let us pray. Gracious Father, the shedding of blood for the remission of sin came through your own Son. For that, we can only humbly plead that you accept our worship in the partaking of these elements that we might be drawn to you and to love you more fully in the light of your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.